Welcome, welcome. It's Cool Stuff Ride Home. Marcus Papp and Reggie Rizzo. On today's episode, why a giant ape species went extinct over 200,000 years ago. Plus, could gray hair actually be reversible? All that and this day in history, a special day for one of the most popular modern day book series. Coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. An ancient great ape species, Gigantopithecus blakey, believed to be the largest known by scientists, likely went extinct due to climate change affecting its preferred fruits during the dry seasons, according to a study published by the journal Nature. Renaud Yanis Boyu, a researcher at Australia's Southern Cross University and co-author of the study, described the giant ape as just a massive animal, just really really big, end quote. How big is it? Well, the ancient species of ape stood 10 feet tall and weighed 650 pounds. For reference, the largest living primate is the eastern gorilla, which can stand five and a half feet tall when standing erect and weighs 440 pounds. According to the research, the massive size of Gigantopithecus blakey, according to the research, the massive size of Gigantopithecus blakey led to its demise, as it suggests that when food became scarce, the large size of the ape prevented it from climbing trees to find new food sources. The giant apes were similar in appearance to modern orangutans and thrived for approximately 2 million years in the forested plains of China's Guangxi region, where they followed a vegetarian diet consuming fruits and flowers in tropical forests. However, as the environment changed, the researchers observed a decline in fruit production around 600,000 years ago, coinciding with an increase in dry seasons for the region. The study utilized analysis of pollen and sediment samples from caves in Guangxi, as well as fossil teeth, to piece together the story of the great ape's decline. The research indicates that Gigantopithecus blakey species didn't disappear abruptly, but likely became extinct between 215,000 and 295,000 years ago. So they survived for several hundred thousand years after the environment started to change. When the forest landscape did change, the giant apes faced a shortage of their preferred food. The researchers' analysis also revealed that, unlike smaller apes that could adapt to climbing trees and search for alternative food, the giant apes resorted to consuming less nutritious options like tree bark and reeds. Knowledge about these extinct apes is largely derived from fossil teeth and four large lower jaw bones discovered in southern China, as complete skeletons have not been found. Fossil records indicate that between 2 and 22 million years ago, numerous great ape species inhabited Africa, Europe, and Asia. Today, only gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos, orangutans, and humans remain. While the emergence of the first humans occurred in Africa, the exact continent where the great ape family originated remains unknown, according to Rick Potts, who directs the Human Origins Program at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. However, he was not involved in this study thinking if I want to make a King Kong reference with the 10-foot ape. Not quite King Kong, but 10 feet? That's a pretty tall ape. I wouldn't want to mess with that guy. Yeah, that's a substantial animal right there. No doubt, Reg. Uh, 10 feet, 650 pounds. And uh, gotta believe he could dunk a basketball and probably a pretty good wrestler. So to your point, I'm not tangling with this animal. And part of the uh, story that I forgot to mention here is that you know, with their food source kind of being depleted, being that size, they had to eat a lot. So as their food source is being depleted and they're only munching on those uh, tree bark and reeds, clearly that's not enough nutrition for a 10 foot, 600 pound ape. Well, what's interesting to me is that even prior to that, they apparently dined on fruit 
for the majority of their meals, which look, I love fruit, but that doesn't necessarily sound like an all encompassing meal either, especially for something as big as this species was. I'm assuming that was a lot of fruit that they ate. (laughs) No, No doubt. Yeah, quite the produce section there for these guys. Well, if you're one of the many who's fighting a battle with gray hair, perk up your ears because a new study says the phenomenon may be reversible. Published in the journal Nature, as was the case with our first story today, the study out of New York University's Grossman School of Medicine links graying hair to stem cells getting stuck unable to color new hair growth. More specifically, the team revealed how stuck melanocyte stem cells, or MCSCs, can't make the protein needed to pigment hair. Per Tim Newcomb and Popular Mechanics, the team found that MCSCs travel between compartments of developing hair follicles in a healthy situation. The differing compartments allow the MCSCs to mature and pick up the protein that can regenerate into pigment cells and continually color hair as it grows. These melanocyte stem cells shift back and forth between maturity levels over time as they continually move between the compartments, a unique aspect of MCSCs, but in some cases, these stem cells can get stuck in the hair follicle bulge compartment and become unable to move back to the germ compartment, where the WNT proteins encourage the cells to regenerate into pigment cells. Getting stuck means no pigment cells, which means, of course, gray hair. Now, per Mayumi Ito, the study's senior investigator and a professor at NYU, quote, it is the loss of chameleon-like function in melanocyte stem cells that may be responsible for graying and loss of hair color. These findings suggest that melanocyte stem cells' motility and reversible differentiation are key to keeping hair healthy and colored, end quote. So essentially what they're saying is that if the melanocyte stem cells can continue moving, meaning if we can prod them back into action, it's quite possible we'll be able to reverse gray hair, at least to some extent. Now, to be clear, the research here was conducted on mice, but the scientists certainly sound confident it will be transferable to humans. Ki Sun, a postdoctoral fellow at NYU Langone Health, said in a news release, quote, The newfound mechanisms raise the possibility that the same fixed positioning of melanocyte stem cells may exist in humans. If so, it presents a potential pathway for reversing or preventing the graying of human hair by helping jammed cells to move again between developing hair follicle compartments, end quote. According to soon, melanocyte stem cells, which specialize in pigment production, are distinct from the cells responsible for hair growth. That means hair can continue growing even in the absence of pigment. The NYU study demonstrated that as the process of hair regrowth aged, the number of melanocyte stem cells in the follicle bulge increased. At certain stages, this non-pigment-producing follicle bulge contained approximately 50% of all melanocyte stem cells. Mobile melanocytes retain their pigment-producing ability, but as the requirements of melanocyte stem cells changed over time, the emergence of gray hair was observed to coincide with the aging process. And while stress has been linked to graying hair in the past, unrelated research from Harvard suggests that stress primarily accelerates the hair regrowth pattern, hastening the aging of hair follicles. So the next step for the NYU team involves looking at how we can get melanocyte stem cells, once stuck, moving again. Because once they move, they create pigment, and that could mean the end of gray hair. They just poke it with a stick. Get moving. Let's go. Yeah, get get out there and move again. <laughs> Stupid stem cell. 
Yeah. We don't want gray hair. Move. (laughs) I mean, it is kind of a breakthrough. Certainly, it's more of a vanity metric than anything. But you know who doesn't love hearing something like this are all those hair coloring companies out in the world, because uh, certainly that could put a damper on business. I'm going to jinx myself here, but I've been fortunate enough to be 44 now and have minimal gray hair. Uh, yep. I'm sure it's coming fast and soon. Um, so I, like I said, I don't want to jinx it. What does your family look like? Because I, I've always wondered about that. My dad really didn't have a gray hair on his head until he was in his 60s. Well, my family has a history of having blonde hair when we're young and then it turning dark. And then over time, it grained. Like my sister was blonde until she was like five or so. My dad was blonde until he was 20 some. I considered myself blonde until fairly recently. Um, and then all of our hair darkened. So our melanocytes must be doing something. I don't know what, but they're doing something. <laughs> they're not stuck in the bulge, as they no. say in this study. They're doing something, but it's a little bit darker than it used to be. I mean, hey, look, that's a heck of a lot better than going gray, I have to assume. I was just going to say that. I prefer that than going gray prematurely, I guess. Good job, Reggie's melanocytes. Taking a look at this day in history, in 2007, author J.K. Rowling finished writing the seventh and final Harry Potter novel. We know this because she was staying at the Belmorel Hotel in Edinburgh when she left a signed statement on a marble bust of Hermes in a room that said, J.K. Rowling finished writing Harry Potter and the Deathly Howls in this room, 552, on 11 January 2007. Hmm. She also wrote on her website around the same time, I've never felt such a mixture of extreme motions in my life. Never dreamed I could feel simultaneously heartbroken and euphoric, end quote. Harry Potter and the Deathly Howls was released on July 21st of 2007, so only about seven months after she finished writing it, and it broke sales records when it came out, which were held previously by other Harry Potter books. Deathly Howells holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most novels sold in 24 hours. It sold 8.3 million copies in the U.S. and 2.65 million in the U.K. By June of 2008, worldwide sales were around 44 million. Wow. While it was the final book of the Harry Potter series, two other publications were released after it. In December of 2008, a book about fairy tales in the world of Harry Potter was released. That book was called The Tales of Beetle the Bard. And in 2016, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child was released. That was written as a script for a play, though, which the play did actually have some time in theaters. But it was written in two parts and scribed by Jack Thorne. It was based on the Harry Potter books. However, that publication takes place when Harry is an adult and focuses on one of his children. So were you a fan of the Harry Potter series at all, Marcus? I can't say I ever read a book or ever saw a movie. What was funny, Reggie, is I was in high school, and I remember we were going to take a trip down to Orlando, and at this time, of course, there was no such thing as movies or TV or anything else on an airplane. So I thought, hey, you know what? I'll, let me let me buy one of those Harry Potter books. I'll read that on the flight down. Well, I bought it, and it pretty much stayed in the overhead bin the entirety of the flight there and the flight home. So not sure if I still have that at my parents' place somewhere, but... Uh, bought the book, never read it, and again, never saw a movie. So I don't know. I, it's just not really my thing. The fantasy world like that, I, I don't I don't get into it. But I know a lot of people absolutely love it, and I get it. And you know what? Good, good on you for finding something that you love. I'm a fan of fantasy and sci-fi. 
The first movie actually came out when I started really getting into reading. When I was younger, I avoided reading because it was something I had to do for school. Yep. But once I got out of school, I finally saw it more as the, the entertainment purposes, you know, reading the, the novel. So it was actually when I first started dating my wife, we went to the movie. She got me into the books. I read all the books. And now we just finished reading the first book to my daughter. I'm on the second one right now with her. However, we have a rule where they can't watch the movie until we finish the book. You know, That's you, you got to enjoy the book. Yeah. You got to enjoy the book first yeah. and then see the movie. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. I like that. And we also have the rule that they're going to have to be the same age as Harry Potter, which was 11 when he went to Hogwarts, before they can go to Harry Potter World in Florida. And how far away from 11 are they right now? Violet is 9, Grayson is 7. We may average it out, make it like a 10 and 12, and let them go, you know, on an average age of 11. But, you know, I don't want to bring them too young where they're not going to remember it. I want them to understand the experience and have fun with it and know what's going on. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I, I'm i trying to think about this from J.K. Rowling's standpoint. If you've read her story, you know, she was, for lack of a better term, a starving artist and then struck it big with the Harry Potter series. And I don't know, it's got to be a weird feeling to see this creation from your mind that you put on to pages for people to consume turned into all these things, including a freaking theme park that millions of people now visit <laughs> annually. That's that's a pretty wild concept. You know, for a while there, I thought I could be an author. and I tried writing it. Every time I wrote something, I was a few pages in. I'm like, it's terrible. It's terrible. I can't, I can't, it, no, it's, <laughs> I, I'm not a writer. I just left it at that. And you said you weren't, uh, you weren't a reader as a, at a young age. I always pegged you as a goosebumps kind of guy. No, I mean, there were a few things I read, but things you were supposed to read for school, especially, um, which were good books. To Kill a Mockingbird, I think is a good book. That's actually one that I think I actually did read in school and I finished, but I struggled through it because I was told to read it and I didn't want to. You know, you got to fight the man, right? <laughs> <laughs> did you refer to school as the man at the time? <laughs> the man, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see your parents' reaction to that. <laughs> Sticking it to the man again, are you, Reg? Not doing your homework? Good for you. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I promise you, we are not the man. <laughs> we'll just give you some fun information to enjoy. You can reach us at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. Don't forget, we also have those Facebook and Instagram accounts if you want to follow those as well. I'm Reggie Rizzo, joined as always by Marcus Path. We'll talk to you tomorrow.